how many of you have been here for the most part for the studies through Hebrews? Great. Well, we are, that's something that we are wrapping up tonight. So if you want to turn with us to Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to look at the last five verses of the chapter. And we're going to do things a little bit different tonight. As you can see, um, there have been five of us that have rotated uh, teaching through the book of Hebrews. Uh, three of us are here tonight, if I can count correctly. Two uh, were unable to come. So uh, we're going to take the evening in, in three different phases. One, two, three, A, B, C. Um, the first one is you listening to us. We're going to uh, share some comments, take turns sharing comments on uh, verses, starting with verse 20. I'm going to start sharing some comments, and then these uh, guys will then uh, add their comments when I'm finished. And uh, we don't plan to argue through the scriptures necessarily, but uh, we're going to go through those five verses. So the first part of the evening is you listening to us. Then the, the second part of the evening is you talking to us or talking with us, I should say. Listening to us, talking with us, and then praying with us. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. So this is just kind of sit back, relax, uh, listen to us, and um, I'll start off, and then uh, these guys will chime in. But let's pray first, shall we? Lord, we, uh, again, lift up our time together in your word. Lord, we love your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. As we've been studying recently, your word is truth, Lord, and we want to walk in that truth. The truth be in us, and we want to walk in it faithfully, Lord, the counsel of God uh, for our lives. So bless our time uh, this evening in your word. Pour out your spirit, we pray. Open our hearts to hear what your spirit is saying tonight. Uh, we give you uh, all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, starting in verse 20, um, I have some... Uh, some uh, comments I'd like to make, and then uh, we'll uh, see if, uh, what these guys would like to add. Verse 20 of Hebrews 13, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So I just took that in four different, the four different phrases. The God of peace brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, great shepherd of the sheep, and the blood of the everlasting covenant. So first of all, uh, the God of peace. It reminded me that um, as we've studied recently, first we must have first have the peace. We first must have peace with God before we can know the peace of God. Uh, in Romans 5, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So again, making a distinction between having peace with God by uh, responding to the gospel, being reconciled to God, uh, and then only then can we know the peace of God, having received the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So to me, it, it really means if, as, as a believer, if I learn to just abide in Christ and be in fellowship with him, and then as it says in uh, is it Philippians, to be anxious for nothing, but through all, thing, all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let my requests be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So the peace 
of God then comes from the Lord. We receive that directly from the Lord as we are in fellowship with him, as we are asking, making our requests known to him. We're, we're praying about everything, and we're putting our trust in him. We receive that peace. So that's uh, my comments there on that first uh, part, God of peace. <clears throat> and then it says, raised Christ from the dead. Uh, someone recently asked me, who raised Jesus from the dead? Uh, did he raise himself, uh, or was it the Holy Spirit that raised him, or was it God the Father that raised him? And um, I think we'll f- you find verses throughout the scriptures that speak of all three, uh, different, time, different points in the scriptures. All three persons of the Godhead, all three persons were involved in this epic event of raising Jesus from the dead. But here in Hebrews 13, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, um, but not yet. Uh, the, the focus, I, it seems to be on God the Father, uh, with the emphasis being it is, that it is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one and same God whom Jesus, when he walked among us, said, I and the Father are one. That's the same God who sent his Son into the world. So Hebrews, written, written initially to um, first century Jewish believers, I think what he's emphasizing here is it's the God of your, it's the same God, the God of your fathers. To make no mistake about it. Um, and uh, it's the same God who sent his son into the world to re- who reconciles us to himself. In Isaiah 45, um, through the prophet Isaiah, God said, I am the Lord, there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. So, um, and then it reminded me of in 1 John 2, it says, He who denies the Son does not have the Father either, but he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So it's one God, amen? amen. One God. And uh, that verse also, raised Christ from the dead, reminded me of, of it was a power of God that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that will give life to our mortal bodies, uh, will raise us. And it's the same power that is at work within us. It's interesting to think about that in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ, the power of God is there by the Holy Spirit at work within you. In Ephesians 1, it says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of his heavenly, in heavenly places? Um, so it's, again, it um, amazes me that the power of God is at work in my life. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Then that third phrase, great shepherd of the sheep, reminded me, of course, uh, right away of, of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. David, um, in later in life, looking back, writing, basically, you know, dawning on him all along, God has been my shepherd, taking care of me. It's really cool to think about. But he's, in Hebrews, he's referred to the great high priest, but here he is also the great shepherd. We know he's the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He's the great shepherd. He lives for, he lives for the sheep now, um, interceding for us. He's the chief shepherd who will come uh, for his sheep when he returns. So he's uh, the shepherd who cares for his own past, present, and future that way. And then finally, the blood of the everlasting covenant. Uh, it's the blood of the covenant is the, is the basis for the marvelous work 
that Christ accomplished on the cross. Um, and we sing that, you know, repeatedly in many of our worship songs, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Um, his blood cleanses me from all our sin. And it's a new covenant because it's part of God's eternal plan of salvation. It guarantees everlasting life, as we know. So it's also called the everlasting covenant. So those are my comments on that first verse. Um, you guys have any additional things going on? I just had a question. How do you incorporate the God of all peace with the concept of world peace and, you know, that, that mentality? Hmm. What would you say to someone who would say, well, then God must be for world peace? I would say absolutely, but I don't think we're going to have world peace until the Prince of Peace comes again. Amen. I think, you know, all, any Bible student who knows the, the prophetic word would agree that it's very clear prophetically that things are going to go from bad to worse in, in the last days, perilous times will come. Um, but when Jesus comes again, I believe in a literal millennial age when he, he establishes his kingdom on this earth and uh, there will be peace. I agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doesn't take much imagination to uh, perceive things getting worse. <laughs> no, that's true. Very true. I think, Paul, you did a great job there identifying and emphasizing on that that was the same God of the Old Testament because that's the grand theme here of all of Hebrews to there that to, to these Hebrews who were converted and, and who are being tempted to uh, revert from that um, and to realize, like he says, it's the eternal covenant. The prior covenant was preparatory but now this is the final and complete like that opening verse says in many and various ways God spoke of our fathers to the prophets but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son and that verb is a fine is a perfect verb meaning he spoke it in the past it's completed now in the present will continue to be complete into the future amen amen yes the old covenant was by design temporary and the writer of Hebrews points out that it has obsoleted. But this covenant will never obsolete. obsolete. Temporary and symbolic of this covenant. Ultimately, all those things symbolic of, and that's what Hebrews talks about, the better sacrifice, the better priest, the better temple, the better everything, that Jesus fulfills all of those given by God, but yet temporarily and for preparation and teaching and instruction to help us understand the completed work of Christ in a fuller way. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting through Hebrews how he had to emphasize repeatedly that, that uh, Jesus, as our faithful high priest, is now ministering in heaven, in the heavenly temple. Right? So it's a heavenly ministry uh, that is in that sense, unseen, must be received by faith. faith. But there's, you know, and those are the things that are eternal, Amen. that, that yeah. which is unseen. Where they're tempted to go back, go back to the old, which is inferior, mm -hmm. which is, was fading away, which was, was all temporary. And the blood of bulls and goats could not cleanse away which sin. Which had to be offered repeatedly in contrast to Christ who's offered once for all. Right, right.
The great shepherd there, I think of the great king of Israel, David, whose descendant was the hope of Israel. Mm -hmm. And the great shepherd is the descendant of David, the great shepherd king. Right. What a neat thing. Awesome. You know, and back to the blood for a moment. Um, I was discussing with someone how, how could the blood of Jesus be sufficient for all of the sin, uh, all of my sin, past, present, and future, all the sin of the world? Uh, well, only because of who he was, who he is. The, you know, there's an eternal aspect to his sacrifice, the sufficiency of his blood. Um, he lived a sinless life, yes, but he's also the eternal son of God. So, I, th I think that's good, and there's two, two sides to that, and I think Greg and his teaching brings that out many times, is the reason, if he was just the Son of God and not the Son of Man, how can, how can God really substitute for man? Um, because then there, there's no responsibility there. So that's why he had the dual nature of being divine Son of God. That gives his blood value, worth, and significance in order to atone for all sin because it is so. But then he had to also be the son of man and he had to have a human nature so that he could be our substitute. Mm. Yeah. So, so because of both of those characteristics of his blood, that's what produces the everlasting covenant. Right. That he substitutes for us and the substitution is this precious, holy nature, uh, sinless nature of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. And his physical nature is what gave great significance to his sinlessness, that he, had, he has our nature, and yet he did not sin like we have. Exactly. Yeah. So that's profound. Yeah. Scripture if he says was he just was God and perfect yeah. and didn't sin, big deal. Right. You know. Tempted in every way like yeah. we, but yet without sin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In every way like we. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, one commentator pointed out, he never used his divine power to meet his, his personal Perfect need. need. Yeah. So that, that really helped me understand. Very, he's a fully man. And one thing I think when you're saying that, that it always just overwhelms me is to think about that he was indeed the son of God, and he did indeed come from heaven where, where he was exalted and worshipped and glorified. And, I mean, you, you just can't get enough adjectives to understand. And then like Philippians chapter 2 says, yet he gave all that up. And what a temptation that must have always been for him. We think of his temptation, it, it, it would be strong like us, you know, to cuss or swear or commit immorality, all those things which indeed are bad and we shouldn't do them. But I often think of his temptation to wouldn't if you were wouldn't you just want to exercise that power and wouldn't mm. you want to have that glory and wouldn't you want to be recognized for who you really are? Mm -hmm. That would have been I think that would have been the sore temptation. And yet he scripture says he submitted himself in obedience even unto death mm -hmm. on the cross. And that's, hum that's humbled amazing. himself as a servant. As right. a servant. Right. When you were talking about the resurrection of Jesus and kind of who done it, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, you know, it says that the grave could not hold him because of who he is. 
and but the thing that was going through my mind in the context of Hebrews is these people were seeking or considering abandoning uh, faith in Jesus Christ to go back to the temple and just worship God. And what was going through my mind is love and marriage, love and marriage can't have, you know, go together like a horse and carriage, you know. <laughs> you, you can't have God without Jesus. You, you can't take part of it because mm. they are one. And you cannot separate what they do, who they are, uh, anything about them. You can't take part of it. So it's like somebody who doesn't like me, but they like Cheryl. Well, I'm afraid you're stuck with me, you know. <laughs> that is profound. Yeah. Wow. How could anybody not like me? <laughs> okay, I have one more verse. I was wondering. I have one more verse, and that is the uh, verse 21, where it says, Make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, <clears throat> through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I just want to focus in on that first phrase. There, there's, a, there's a Greek word. Um, I didn't practice it. Katartizo. Um, I could put a Spanish uh, kind of a uh, <laughs> accent to it. Does that help? No. But it's uh, that first phrase, make you complete. Um, it is a, um, it's an unfam unfamiliar word to us, uh, but it, its meaning kind of changed depending on who it was spoken to, depending on their need and the, and the job that needed to be done. For example, this word, katartizo, um, this make you complete, um, if, it, if it was spoken to a doctor, it meant to set a broken bone. If it was Spoken to a fisherman, it meant to, it meant to mend a broken net. Uh, spoken to a sailor, it meant to outfit a ship, get it ready for voyage. And then to a soldier, it meant to equip for an army for battle. And so, um, so the point is, is that, uh, you know, the previous verse flows into this, as we know. 20 precedes 21. May the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work. So there's, there's an equipping aspect. Um, if there's something that uh, needs to be mended in our lives, um, this is something the Lord, a work the Lord wants to do in our lives so that we will be, be, reach maturity in the process so that we'll be equipped in ready for every good work. So there are other verses that, are, are, that speak to that. Um, there you have it. Well, I think if you see this is the closing of his letter, and so he's kind of trying to, to summarize here, and I think in that first verse in chapter 20, he, he talks about the one the, and the first and the most important uh, key theme of the whole book, and that is the completed, fulfilling, mm -hmm. final work of Jesus and, and, and who he is and what he's done and what that means to us. But then, if you remember, as we work through this book, uh, now in 21, he's going to transition into the other key theme, and that is this great work that Jesus did isn't meant for us 
just to be inspired and just to admire and just to believe, but it's meant for us to, it's a summons for us to follow him and to obey him. And so here's this great picture in verse 20 of the God of all peace and the eternal covenant of Jesus. And then it says the whole purpose of this is so that he might equip us to go forth and live uh, out of that work and actually live it in our lives and not only believe in it. And throughout the book, he bounces back and forth through the theological implications and then the practical applications. This is true. Therefore, then you need to do this. Right, right. One of the things that I'm going to be sharing on is um, our reality. I think all of us have things in our reality that we don't like. And we can either change realities or we can ask for God's ability to deal with this reality mm -hmm. to equip us for every good thing mm -hmm. in what our reality is today. Mm. And uh, these people were looking at their reality and they were thinking, well, maybe I should go back to the way things were. And, you know, I think this plays out in our lives in many ways. People who were single get married and they think, I think it was better before, you know. And we're, we're shifting situations rather than to become the person Man, that we great. need to be mm -hmm. where we are, where God's called us and what he desires to accomplish through our life. Mm -hmm. And so we need his equipping in every good Amen. thing to do his will. Right. So without it, we're not going to make it. I was uh, speaking with someone about the, the difficulties. One, one, one uh, way that God equips us is through suffering, through hardships, through trial, through uh, those difficulties and he allows in our lives. And we have the counsel of God's word in, in multiple places that we are to trust in the Lord, we are to persevere. But um, someone said, we often want substitution, you know, God take this sickness and give me health. We want substitution naturally, and we can certainly request that. But God is more inter interested in transformation and the, and the change that takes place within us, the growth that takes place in the process as, as we're looking to him and waiting on him and trusting in him. So that I, I did want to comment briefly on that other phrase, working in you, in verse 21, working in you what is well-pleasing. Uh, it reminded me of in Philippians 2, where it says, um, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So how thankful we are that God is at work within us, because many times I think I struggle with the willing part. Am I really willing? But the Holy Spirit is there continually granting me that grace to be willing. Amen. Uh, I think I still have to get my will on board. <laughs> many times with that. Well, that's a good transition into my verse there because I think that's there's always a what I, I call a divine human interaction. Mm. God is always working within us, trying to work within us, willing to work within us, but we have to work with mm -hmm. him. That's what Philippians is talking about. Mm -hmm. We have to work. It doesn't say sit there and wait for God to finish his work in you. It mm -hmm. says work out your own. Work it out. Mm -hmm. why, and how can you have confidence to try to work it out? Because God is working in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then I think I know Lowell preached a message that just really um, both convicted and, and, and challenged me. And so did Greg once 
on on this on this issue of taking responsibility, seeking out what God wants to teach you. I think you taught we're responsible. I remember this. You were responsible to manage our Christian relationships. Mm-hmm. It was a powerful message. And uh, at the time, I had a Christian relationship that needed some different management than I was giving it. And uh, I, I, mean, I was ready to, uh, I mean, and I know how to do this. I used to be a special agent, and uh, so I know how to work up a legal case. And uh, I'm also an insurance agent, so I know what uh, it takes to get an insurance settlement. So this had to do with the firing of my daughters. And uh, I, w- I was ready. I, ha- I was setting up the case step by step. I was, I was getting this guy to say and do the things I needed him to do so that I could prosecute him and so that I could sue him. And I knew I could, co- I knew I could, I knew I could collect $200,000 like that. And then you cut me out of $200,000. I cost you a lot of money. <laughs> Can I take it back if you share it with but me? But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I think there would have been some grief attached to that. <laughs> the, that's what I'm going to say. The joy and the peace and the satisfaction uh, before God that came after I, I realized I have to forgive that guy. Amen. It's priceless. And I forgave him. It was worth more than $200,000. Mm. Right. Amen. So you're on. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you're next. Okay. Well, I want to... In my job, you know, whenever we make a presentation at the end, we ha- have to, you know, I m- make insurance presentations. We have to put a, dis- a disclaimer that says, you know, this isn't everything and you can't believe everything that's in there. So a uh, <laughs> little disclaimer before I start on my little vignette here. And that is I'm a little, I feel like kind of the third wheel, the odd man out here because these guys, these two guys, and Pastor and Greg, have carried the whole, most of the burden of this teaching, and um, and I've only hit it a couple of times, uh, but I wanted to say what a uh, privilege and pleasure and joy it has been for me to participate, even though I haven't participated as much as I had liked, and and was even offered and pressured into a corner many times, but. Um, the meeting together on Saturday, the teaching in here, uh, and the and the opportunity to teach on what I think I taught three or four times, um, actually been a real highlight of my life, and I've grown and uh, and I appreciate that. We so we the, say amen. so we these amen. guys are right, uh, been right into it up to the end here. So you know, give their statements a little bit more weight than I am because I'm coming in on the end here. But this verse of mine is verse 22. Look at that with me. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. Now, I want to, there's two things that verse hits me with. First, what it is directly saying, and I think that's important to know. But the second thing is what it's really not directly saying, which is almost as important as what it directly says. So what is it directly saying? Well, I think it is this transition, 20, 20, 21, 22. There is this great work of Christ that is ours in the gospel in 20. In 21, the purpose of this great work in Christ is for us to become 
who we can be in him and who he is calling us to be. 22, how is that going to happen? How are we going to realize that? How are we going to apply this great theme of the gospel into our practical lives? And so that's why he begins, and, and these, he's, hit all, he's hit these themes time and time and time again in detail throughout the chapter, but here he's trying to pull them together in just little nuggets so that we can hold on to them. And so in 22, it's the nugget of, okay, after I've told you all this great stuff about Jesus and what his purpose is in our lives, here, how are you going to do this? And so he starts with by saying, but I urge you. Now, it doesn't come across near as strong in the English translation as it is in the Greek. It, it's a very strong, almost, command. I summon you. It would probably be a better literal uh, translation. Urge just kind of says, I'm, I'm trying to encourage you to do this. I think this would be a good idea. This would really benefit you. But it's a much stronger thing. I am summon you. It's, it's, all, it's a legal term in the court of the day uh, for someone who summons. And so he's saying, I summon you, brethren, to bear, and I think uh, King James translates that, uh, suffer, and um, sometimes we don't get the, the meaning of that because the bear and suffer is not exactly what he, he's trying to say. He's trying to say, or I'm summoning you to the literal translation of that word, bear there, is to hold oneself up against something. So I think what he's saying is, and, and uh, this is so true in our day and nature, we have so much access to the Bible and, and teaching uh, in the end of the day. What he's saying is these great truths that I've been teaching you throughout these 13 chapters, uh, these great truths are not just to believe. They're not just to be inspired. They're not just to be soaked up. They're meant for you to bring yourself up to them, to endure them in your life, to hold yourself up against these things uh, so that they will indeed transform your life. And um, so I think that's what the direct statement is there. It's a very strong encouragement of, again, the sermon that Lowell had, of our responsibility uh, for managing our Christian relationships. And I don't remember the other four or five things that he had there because that one was just consume me with it. But we, we, it's always a divine human interaction of anything in our lives. Nothing happens in our lives for God um, that we are not depending and looking to God for. But likewise, nothing's going to happen in our lives, even though God wants it and is willing and ready to work it. Nothing's going to happen if we aren't engaged, uh, fully engaged, sacrificially engaged, regularly engaged uh, in his word. So... That's what I think the direct statement is. Now, the indirect, yeah, well, maybe I, maybe I should let you guys interact on that before I go to the indirect. So. Well, the bear, bear with uh, the truth, um, bear with the, the word of exhortation reminded me of, of what we talked about this past Sunday of walking in the truth. 
You know, you've got the, the truth, and John taught the Sunday before how the, the truth will set you free, but sometime, at first it can be, what, what did you say? It can make you mad, <laughs> or it can, you know, it can be hard to receive. Mm-hmm. It can be like, yes. you know, like some of the things Jesus said to his disciples when he walked among us, they were like, this is a hard teaching. And for some of them, these are, these are uh, you know, this transitional oh. period of going, coming from the Mosaic law and all the traditions, tradition, and, uh, you know, now is the new covenant. And they're like, oh, you know, this is, some of this is, is difficult. And I think you're nailing it on the head where he's exhorting them, don't, don't just react, have this knee-jerk reaction and throw it out. You know, re- receive, you know, discuss it among yourselves. Bear with it. Uh, and you'll find, you'll find that it, it, it is the truth. And, and the Holy Spirit will do a work. The question is, how do you handle the situation or the relationship when somebody tells you something that you don't want to hear? When all of your want-tos are going in the other direction? And in the Christian community, if we are functional in the Christian community, we're going to hear a lot of things that we don't want to hear Mm. if we're going to grow. And I find that Prophets are not very well liked throughout the Old Testament nor in the Christian community because they will say things as they are and they don't always wrap it in the neatest little package. And personally, I like it. You know, on the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the quick. That's not a comfortable situation. And I I personally kind of desire to be confronted and brought to task. I respect someone who can do that accurately from the Word of God. It's very direct. Speak the truth in love. Yeah, hopefully. don't try it. Do I need to stay back? Yeah. No, I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Admire that in a person. I think that's happened on Saturday mornings a few times. Oh, yeah. Call. Oh, yeah. I think there's great evidence that Paul wrote this letter because in verse 22, he says, I've written to you briefly. And Paul's definition of brief, you remember, (laughs) one night he taught until after midnight, and the poor guy fell asleep and fell out the window. So, you know, uh, I think that's probably a giveaway. It's Paul. Well, then I'll go on and just briefly look at that second part that's indirect. I think that it is as almost important as, as the first part that he is directly saying. Um, and that is uh, two concepts here. The, the reliability of the Bible and the, the authority of the Bible. There is, even in the Christian church, sad to say, uh, but sp- certainly in the secular world, a completely misunderstanding of how we received our Bible. Mm. Uh, there's all of this uh, teaching and talk about that that period of time in history was an oral culture and they gave more authority to oral things and so the bible really developed as stories that were passed on orally for for years and decades and then finally hundreds of years later somebody wrote it down well if that indeed is true if you've ever been you know played that game where you whisper and you pass around and it comes around telephone yeah what we get what we got is probably not what was really said but this is this is indicating to us uh, that the fact that it was written gave it the authority. He is saying, bear with this. Not because I'm just, 
I'm not just telling this to you, but I've written it. Because he knew it was a, the authority in the church had to be written. And it only makes sense. How, how are we going to have a reliable revelation? You can't rely upon on fallen man's thinkings about God. I mean, we'd come up with all kinds of crazy ideas easily. Um, and, and God can't just give it to us directly because he's transcendent. His thoughts are above our thoughts and his ways are beyond our thoughts. So we need a, a mediating method to hold us to God's truth, and that is the written Bible. And it has always existed as a written document. It never circulated around the campfire as uh, stories. From the very beginning, it existed as a written document, and, it, and, and as you read the New Testament, you see time and time again references to the writing. Paul says to one church, you know, read the letter from the other church. Mm. And they, these letters were, were circulating early in the church, and not every church had every letter, but they were in, quote, the church. And even in Revelations, Jesus says to John, what does he say? He doesn't say, hey, now, you know, you're going to have a great vision, and man, that'll make a great campfire story. You can tell that around, the great visions. He said, write down the things that you will see. So we have a written Bible that has been written down uh, over the years. Yes, through different histories and cultures, it was written. Um, and there's more we could go into that to show that, uh, how that proves its authenticity. But um, I think that's just one of those, re one of those indirect references. Mm -hmm. He's saying, you know, pay attention. I've written this stuff to you, and this is what you really need to dig into, not you know, go out and hear what people are saying in the stories and, you know, try to put it together. Right. Amen. That uh, thing of the stories, the oral tradition always struck me as a story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is, a story. For the sake of time, I think we should move into your verses, Lowell. Oh, you, you think I'm going to be long? Okay. Okay. No, he's saying we've both been long <clears throat> already. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, just, I have three verses, a couple of them very small. Verse 23, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. And uh, just things that stood out to me there is Timothy released implies that Timothy has followed in the tracks of his, the person who mentored him, the Apostle Paul, and has wound up in jail because of his faith. Hmm. and um, is being released. He's not being released from a banquet or a potluck. He's being released from jail. And uh, jail time because of his faith. And so what I see here that really ministers to me is this thing of dealing with limitations and opposition. Uh, we all have limitations, and we all have opposition. And the first thing that I see here is that God is not limited. We are. Mm -hmm. And so we may have our handicaps or we may have those things that stand against us, but God uses those things too. And for us not to feel that, you know, we're kind of out of the fray. And uh, God will do his thing. He will accomplish what he's promised in and through us. And so just things taking off from that that I listed is limitations are only expanded opportunity. 
um, um, had um, they, Timothy and the author, been free to travel to Rome as they wanted to do, we wouldn't have the book of Hebrews. And so Timothy's in jail, Paul can't travel. You know, whatever the situation is, they had limitations too. And they had opposition too. And so don't feel like the lone stranger, you know. We, we all have to deal with those things. But God is faithful. I think that's big. Uh, another thing is limitations are reality. And um, all of us have to deal with reality. Um, um, there are some things I desire to do that will not be done by me. It's just a fact. I'm getting old. Uh, I am, there's less I can do. And uh, we all face limitations. And there are things that I'm not going to get done. Which brings up the next things. My limitations are opportunities for others. And um, the importance, Jesus in the Great Commission said, go into all the world and make disciples, not converts. Amen. And the importance of disciple making and the people in this room and this time we're spending together right now, if, if we can impart to you something that is going to equip you and enable you and motivate you to do your thing, We've accomplished more than if we were out doing Amen. what we mm -hmm. wanted to do some other way tonight. And um, my limitations are opportunities for others, the importance of discipling, mentoring, entrusting ministry to others. And I was just, I was a college student, very recluse, and God called me through a, a staff pastor and through Campus Crusade to do something. And they, equipped and mentored me to go and do it and if we can do that for you we've accomplished way more than we're going to accomplish in our you know Amen. our trophy Amen. room and so discipling mentoring and trusting ministry to others we may get more done discipling three people than reaching five thousand simple truth and so measuring the impact of your life is not you know, putting a picture of Billy Graham on the wall and maybe a coliseum filled with people and saying, that's what I need to be. But being faithful in the relationships that you have. Very simple. Amen. Um, <clears throat> God is better glorified in our weakness, mm -hmm. our limitations, than in our impressive abilities. I think that's profound. God can handle my weakness. I need to be able to accept it. Um, the author wanted to be there in Rome, but he resigned himself to send a letter which not only reached Rome, but reached Kent, Washington. Pretty cool. Hmm. <laughs> so which is more important? Um, Paul says here, if he comes soon, speaking of Timothy, um, he said, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released. With whom? If he comes soon, I will see you. And important consideration, there, are always, uh, there is always more beyond our control than there is within our reach. <laughs> Get used <laughs> to it. There's always more beyond our control than there is within our reach that we, we can really do something about. If Timmy sh Timothy shows up, when Timothy shows up, Paul would like to go to Rome. 
and doesn't know if, when, how, or what the circumstances are. I personally have many unknowns in my life, and I would guess that you do too. How is this going to happen? How is this going to work out? And the point is that we need to learn to trust God. His timing, his ability, um, giving us words and the people and the discernment in ministry, it's not about us. And for God to make available the provision, how he does that. It's all beyond mm. our ability and beyond our reach. Cheryl and I have this little motto. Anybody that's been around us more than twice has heard it. Pray and wait. That's how we live. We can't go and do. You know, there's no spiritual credit card that we can put it on and then, you know, go do something. But we pray and wait for the grace to do it. And that's how we live. And that's the only thing that I've found that works. Okay. Good. In, in that first part where you were talking about the limitations and the, and the obstacles that we have, so often we waste so much of our spiritual energy asking why. Why, God? Why, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me, God? Mm. Why did you let this happen? Why did this person file, fire my daughters? Why, 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 why? And instead, we need to change over and ask the question, what? Amen. What, what is God trying to do in my life through this? What can I do to, to testify to God in this situation? Right. What is my responsibility to God and to, the, and to the people involved in this? What? Not and and the why, that's up to God. That but is the so what well said. Is mm -hmm. up to us. That is so well said. Yeah, it Thank reminded you. me when Paul said that he prayed three times that the thorn be removed, whatever that was, an, an infirmity, mm -hmm. a physical thing. He again, he was uh, leaning towards give me, you know, give me relief, give me healing. I'm praying for this, which we naturally do. He wanted substitution. God wanted transformation. My grace is sufficient for you. And I was thinking how, you know, when I'm, uh, you know, suffering in some small way, um, I'm never more, you know, self-focused and grumpy and, you know, uh, quick-tempered and, and unkind and grouchy and all those things come from the flesh when I'm in discomforted. Yet God is saying my grace is sufficient for you. And I think... Um, Two things uh, that I believe the Lord uh, spoke to me about that is, one is we have to uh, ask for that. You know, mm -hmm. grace is for the humble. And so, and make your requests known. Yeah. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. So God, give me the grace. And the grace for what? Not necessarily healing in that moment. That would be wonderful. But that's not always what he's going to give me. It was, he's not always going to give me relief. He wants, he's, I'm going to continue to suffer, but what is the grace for? I think the, gra the grace is so that I can continue to serve him, but to, to, love, to, to love. Amen. I, I, can, I can be not feeling well, but I can still love hmm. others uh, with, with kindness and patience and uh, forbearing and all those things that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, for me not to feel well, but, but to act that way towards you, it's got to be the grace of God because I don't feel like it. And just a little word uh, <laughs> of testimony about how transforming it is when you really do these things we're talking about. This same guy that I was going to sue and I was going to get $200,000 from and I was so angry with 
originally if I was in his presence. I know we differ on this somewhat, but if I was in his presence, I might have lost my salvation. But um, <laughs> this same guy, I was, I was at an event the other day, and at the end of the event, he came over and hugged me. Now, this was, this was a little weird for me, and he kissed me on the cheek. You would not have lost your salvation. You would have just marred your sanctification. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or according to Greg, I would have lost rewards in heaven, but whatever. <laughs> you know. Anyway, I'd have, been, I'd have done what was wrong and been in some trouble. But. So anyway, the transformation is beyond because, I mean, I never dreamed. That, and we have a good relationship. And, and uh, we're friends. <laughs> I mean, right. I didn't want to be friends with him, but I am friends. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we want to give uh, you an opportunity. I have two more verses. You do? <laughs> yeah. I thought we ended at 20, 25. Yeah, I haven't done 24 and 25 yet. Really? No. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> go ahead. Okay. 24, take you, notice. You have two now? minutes. <laughs> take notice that our brother Timothy has been released with whom, if he comes soon. I did that. Greet all the leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Just three categories of people here that Paul mentions. Leaders, saints, and peers. Those from Italy. In other words, mm -hmm. there were there's those there with, I believe it's the Apostle Paul, but whoever is writing this letter, who are from Italy, who are reporting, and it's probably propagated this letter, the problems that they're having in Italy and the false teachings that are being presented there. But these three categories are still are. Oh no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll let that go. Okay, leaders. Um, um, we always have to be on the same page in leadership. There's got to be a commonality, and the writer of the book of Hebrews greets the leaders in Italy, and there has to be that recognition. You do not bypass leadership to get to the congregation. That is always wrong. Hmm. And Jesus speaks of this in John 10, the good shepherd, the one who enters the flock without going through the gate, mm. the leader or the right way, is a poacher. Mm -hmm. And so always through leadership and respecting that leadership. Secondly, the saints, the Christian community, and then the peers from Italy greet them too so that they understand that there's a commonality there. There are people like us that are there. These aren't some kind of freaks from a different part of the world trying to tell us what to do, but these people are all on the same page addressing us. And I'll go on to 25, grace be with you all. Just five words there, grace. <clears throat> and just real quickly, grace is always better than what I desire. <laughs> God's grace is his provision for us, his supernatural provision for us. Not only do we not deserve it, sometimes we don't like it because of the circumstance in which he gives us that grace. And I just jotted down some, um, first of all, grace is what we really need. Um, we may not see yet what it is that we really need, but God provides that for us in the circumstance where we are. Um, I jotted down what we want and what we need. We may want release from trouble, <clears throat> but God wants us to grow in faith. <clears throat> And if we pray for God to deliver us from trouble, we will not experience that growth, which is God's real objective to us. These things are obvious. Amen. We may want less hardship. God wants us to have more stamina. 
okay? It's like going in the Marine Corps and say, no, 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 I didn't want that kind of beach, you know? <laughs> and uh, I was thinking parasol, not a, you know. And uh, uh, less opposition, where God wants us to have more courage and boldness. And that's one of the things there in dealing with opposition. We as Christians in this society had better get prepared to deal with opposition because it is increasing and be able to address it. And, and as in the book of Acts, they prayed for boldness and courage. Not arrogance and rudeness, but courage to present the gospel in difficult situations. Hmm. We may want more money. God may want us to have more discipline. We want more opportunities. God wants us to be more faithful. We may want better people in my life. God may want us to become better people. We may want less sorrow. God may want, may want us to have more joy and hope mm. in the reality Amen. of our hardship. And so to understand that grace is not some blank check from heaven, yes. but it's God's wonderful gift to us in the circumstances where we are, to become what God wants us Amen. to be. Tad, in there a bit. Uh, and the only way to get, even as believers, the only way to get out of our human understanding is to get into God's word. It's put off and put on. Otherwise, otherwise, we're going to gravitate to human. I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've taught a series on forgiveness. I thought I was an expert on forgiveness. <laughs> you know? Don't ever do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, <laughs> we're just going to gravitate to human understanding mm -hmm. automatically uh, unless we're constantly offsetting it by the Word of God. And, and, and I think one of the key things on one of uh, those phrases here about the leaders and the saints is that fellowship is important to growth, too. Uh, be, being in the Word is important, but fellowship is also a very important part of growth because we stir one another up to greater good works through our Amen. fellowship. Amen. You're reconciled with, and now you have a love for them. Um, I've found that, you know, there's so many relationships where I, you know, I really don't like the people, but through the course of events, God brings me to the point where I really love them. Amen. Amen. And we need to be open to that. The only way we can get to that is to remain in fellowship. And I know people that are jumping churches all the time because yeah. they get the feelings hurt and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, stick it out and grow. Unless you're at another church and you want to come here. <laughs> <laughs> church, the church not teaching the word. Then you need to come here. Yeah, yeah. Could I make a couple comments? You know, this... Uh, Should we let him? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. We're I, kidding. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. About prayer, about the... I've really grown to know, to love uh, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Amen. Paul, Greg, and Rick, and this has just been a real privilege. I also want to say the music on these Wednesday nights has been just wonderful and such a blessing. Yeah, precious, and we just appreciate, you know, you guys that are faithful in doing this and it... It has really been a blessing to me. Amen. Before we get into prayer, I just want to give a little praise and report because you guys have all prayed for me and for my daughters. And I know many people out here have prayed for me and the prayer team and all. And God just really did work not only in my life in the forgiveness area, but my daughters have a new job. Oh, um, right. And it, 
they, we realized they would have never made the change um, from where they were to where they are. They would have never done that, and we would have never let them do that. Uh, but now it's better. It's a better situation than, than they were in, awesome. and, and we would have never allowed it, and they would have never made the change. They have a job. It's a better situation uh, all in so many ways. Uh, God provided funds for a trailer for the girls um, that, that we were trying to scramble how we're going to borrow it and pay for it. And, and we got uh, a gift of $20,000 to buy them a trailer. Wow. And uh, so it, we want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, it really did sustain us keep me from losing my salvation during that time period and um, we just are so appreciative of the church family and those who were praying for us.